pot, ganja, Mary Jane, whatever you want to call it, marijuana is a heck of a lot easier to come by these days. No surprise, really, since it's been legal in this country since 2018. No longer do you have to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody to get your hands on the chronic. We know what it's been like for consumers since pot was legalized, but what's it been like for the people who are now legally in the business of selling it? That's the focus of this episode of the Blackburn News Podcast, hosted by Craig Needles. There are shops you expect to see in every town on every block. Tim Hortons, Starbucks, fast food places, convenience stores, the list goes on. However, there's a growing industry with storefronts that could soon be seen as one of those street-side staples. It's a product in high demand, but also highly regulated. They have a large consumer base, but it's also relatively new, at least to the legal market. It's retail marijuana. It's early on, but the number of stores in our communities is set to jump in the near future. In London, there's an oncoming 38 stores. 38 coming to Windsor, 8 in Chatham, 14 headed to Sarnia. It's retail marijuana mania, and it's set to be the most competitive market in our local marketplaces. Alongside the fact that they'll be operating in such close proximities, there's a few more factors that add fuel to the fire. Marijuana has the strictest advertising promotions regulations of any product outside of cigarettes. The potential to differentiate themselves is near impossible, given that the only variation in the signs on the front doors is logos. It's not really what kind of product they're able to advertise to bring people in with. In addition to that, it's the impossibility of advertising. They're restricted to carrying the same products. Only the wholesaler can purchase products from the Ontario Cannabis Store, which is the government's crown corporation store. That locks them into the same products bought at the same price sold with no advertising. So as you can see, there's a big market, but it's going to be hard to differentiate oneself. And to handcuff retailers further, they're prohibited from selling marijuana online. Only the Ontario Cannabis Store can do that, as well as what you would call gray market retailers. That means the marketplace is about to get very competitive. The Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario is issuing 30 cannabis retail store applications per week. And with cannabis only being legalized in 2018 and few marijuana markets to draw comparisons from, the future of the marketplace is tough to predict, but I can tell you one thing, there's some money to be made. My name's Simon Reed. I'm the owner of Boondom Cannabis Shop in Windsor, Ontario. I started in the business, oh, I guess it was uh, when Doug Ford probably announced that he was abolishing the lottery, which was, I guess, about a year and a half ago. But it hasn't always been easy. We've been open since October 13th. And it's been uh, it's been a bumpy ride, needless to say. Um, the business is doing fairly well, but it seems like for every bit of momentum we get with the lockdowns that are being imposed, we can't really. It's making it difficult to really sustain that momentum month over month um, because certain types of customers just don't come in when we're locked down, and. Uh, that I think is really hampering our burgeoning industry where sales are going up month over month, but we're consistently missing the projections that all of us had anticipated, yet stores are opening at the same pace. So it's just fractioning off what everyone anticipated to be a very large pie is a much smaller pie now. The industry has changed. It's changed fast. 
Marijuana went from being illegal to a pandemic essential service, but the stigma surrounding marijuana didn't dissolve as quickly as the illegality of it, leaving new and future cannabis shop owners with a variety of problems and complications in the newly introduced marketplace. Stores now are starting to realize that if they didn't have a plan and their plan was to open the door and just be successful, that they're going to go out of business. There's no doubt about it. Currently, the model being used by Boondom Cannabis is a unique one, focusing on an exciting customer service experience in addition to an in-and-out store setup. Consumer experience is a huge part of having recurring customers and a major part of differentiating your store from the competitors. A 3,000 square foot store where you point somebody to a screen to just purchase something as if they were to do so online so that they leave, ultimately is training the customer to buy online. Like, like that's that's long term where the customer is going to go once they can get same day delivery. There's no advantage for them to go to a retail store if you can't create an experience that's memorable. The competition between retailers, however, isn't as heated as the one between retailers and the black market, which is still profitable. The customer that ultimately we're trying to win is a customer who's a combustible user. So someone who's either using flour using concentrates. That's our customer. To a lesser extent, they're buying a black market vape pen. That's the customer we're trying to win every day. It's not someone who's currently walking into a store. We believe if we're, we continue to cater to a customer who's still actively buying in the legacy market, that we're going to continue to have a store that services the future customer. That's where as a store we need to play is we need when we look at where we think the the market is going to be, we don't look at Ontario. We look at California, we look at Colorado, we look at Washington State. And to a lesser extent, we look at Alberta. Because what customers are consuming there are going to be the products that that Ontarians are going to be consuming very soon. However, the black market still exists, and they have some competitive advantages. We asked Chad Ackland of Lick Cannabis in London about some of the ways the Ontario Cannabis Store could improve while also diminishing the black market. We're definitely eating into the market a bit. I think we're getting close to 30%, uh, 30 to 40%, something like that. I think that was the last estimate they made. So it's definitely eating in, but I feel like there's plenty of market out there for everybody. And it's going to take a long time before you see uh, the black market completely disappear, or maybe never. Everybody always said, like, it's a lot cheaper on that side, but it's gotten pretty right, pretty close now. Yeah, there's, they got more, they got, have spent the stuff on the legal side too. So I think uh, ma- mainly edibles probably have a still have a long way to go just because um, there's, there's a 10 milligram cap. Whereas on the other side, you can put as much as you want into it. That's the thing that's really hurting them as far as uh, the underground market and that. By a 10 milligram cap, Chad means that the government limit for the amount of THC a producer can put in an edible or a package of edibles is 10 milligrams. Hopefully down the road, it's, it's hard with uh, how restrictive everything is in legislation, but I think things will open up. It's uh, such a new industry, right? The waning but still active stigma surrounding retail cannabis consumption is somewhat misguided if you look at the facts. There are still some things about marijuana that a lot of people haven't acknowledged. We all know that alcohol is far more harmful than cannabis ever is. and Nobody really talks about that, though. It's so ingrained in our society. You could be like a, a mother and be like, oh, I'm going to go home and have a glass of wine. Nobody has a problem with that. But, you know, you say you're going to go home and smoke a joint and everybody's like, oh, there still is definitely a, a general stigma out there. that like the pothead stigma kind of thing. It's definitely not true. 
lot, a lot of hardworking cannabis users out there. That stigma, which comes from the, oh, won't somebody please think of the children segment of the population, means that politicians have put very strict and specific limits on the way these businesses can promote themselves. No windows, limitations around advertising, and that makes things difficult for a small business owner who's trying to cut through in an already oversaturated market. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. Actually, I reached out to a, a couple of different radio stations, but they don't allow cannabis like advertising. We weren't going to advertise anything uh, specifically for sale or anything like that, just letting people know that we were open. But yeah, it is difficult. Um, you can only really use social media, uh, word of mouth, and just try to get your, uh, your brand out there as best as you can. Even though they're dealing with those limitations when it comes to advertising promotions, Chad believes that a lot of these stores will survive. I think if you stick to the like one in 10,000 you know, model, I think if you start getting higher than that, it might be sketchy, but out West with like much less population than us, they had like over 500 stores and some people say it's not saturated, but I guess we'll see when stores start closing, right? Some stores are going to close just because of that competition. Economists say that oversaturation in the cannabis market is a good thing though, and that the number of brick and mortar stores are crucial to phasing out the illegal cannabis dealers in Ontario. I think that that actually goes a long way to enabling the legal market to be competitive with the black market, even in non-COVID or non-emergency type situations, simply because as different jurisdictions really were heavy on enforcement for illegal dispensaries, as in brick and mortar retail stores, it's much harder to target a black market that doesn't have a physical location and actually goes to its customers. And so by allowing easier access outside of traditional brick and mortar retailers, the legal market is now becoming more competitive with aspects of the black market that are the hardest to capture or police. That's Rosalie Wynock, senior policy analyst at the C.D. Howe Institute. Rosalie has been following the cannabis market since even before legalization in 2018. I think the picture is still quite complex, but that over time, the legal market has been chipping away at the black market right at the offset of legalization. Obviously, um, almost all consumption prior to that was illegal. And what we see in the reports is as time is moving on, the legal market is capturing more and more of the total uh, cannabis market. And that really the policies uh, that have been put in place in relation to the um, emergency situation so that people can have easier access to legal channels are are really helping that along. That being said, now that we're all or a large portion of the population is under stay-at-home orders or just generally staying home as much as they can, we still do have that issue of enabling delivery in a timely manner. And that's an area where the black market still likely has the advantage. Where the government model is working against the black market is an innovation. Given the history the government has with selling formerly illegal products, there's still a long way for us to go, but it's a natural progress of a developing industry. I think that the government will be successful in containing the black market, or at least minimizing it to, to a quite low level. And really the evidence I have for that is if we think of um, Prohibition era, once we ended that prohibition, there is not exactly a large illegal market for alcohol simply because the legal market has been able to innovate, create new flavors, create new products that are just 
superior to what would be available in the black market. And we do see some of that happening with the release of, say, more high-tech cannabis products uh, in the form of beverages and what have you that will, you know, consumers, if they don't have access to those things through the black market, will eventually, just through natural processes, the black market will be eliminated or at the very least highly minimized. Canada is just the second country worldwide to have federally legalized marijuana. That could position the country as a global leader with the current level of competition driving innovation to the next level. So that means keeping restrictions at a minimum could play a key part in the long term for the industry's development. If we get complacent, other countries will catch up quick and they could blow past us. And so it's it will take involvement from government even if it's just simply removing barriers uh, to actually enable that growth and innovation to happen within Canada. But at least so far, Canada was kind of the grand international experiment for can you or should you legalize cannabis? And it has, I mean, the evidence is there. It, it was a good idea. Other countries are following suit. And so hopefully once a somewhat normal resumes after this emergency, we can start thinking about, uh, you know, innovating, being optimistic, involving global partners and getting Canadian business out to the world. And if cannabis is one of those products, all the better. With the potential for government restraints being lifted, it opens the retail industry up for some creativity. We asked Ali Khan of Your Highness in Sarnia about what the cannabis scene could look like down the line. Drawing from his projections, the outlook for canna creativity could get very interesting. City like Toronto could become the new Amsterdam uh, or small. It's, it's all about the what we offer to our tourists. First, we have to promote our tourism. Uh, and the city like Windsor, Sarnia, absolutely, it's a great opportunity for cities to thrive when it comes to cannabis. It's going to blow the tourism door wide open. The market isn't small for these sorts of developments, but while there's a demand, there's still a lot of work to be done when it comes to playing host to these different branches of the cannabis sector. I'm very optimistic that our government will provide other types of opportunities. That's actually why we started our own brand is we wanted the opportunity to extend the brand when, when the opportunity became available. And I think eventually will there be call it cannabis lounges. I think there will be at some point. I don't know when that's going to be, but I'm excited for when that day comes. I think the, the ability to have a, a farm gate type of store is really exciting. I think that opens up a lot of opportunities for licensed producers to have their own stores. But I think more importantly, it opens up the opportunity for there to be partnerships between licensed producers and retailers in a farm gate store type of model which I think is really exciting. I think, you know, tourism is going to be real. Like once COVID's done, cannabis tourism is going to be a big deal. There will be lots to figure out in the coming months, especially once the pandemic comes to a close. But economically and socially and from a societal perspective, marijuana shops are here, more are coming, and soon they'll be pretty common. This episode of the Blackburn News Podcast was written by Jessica Stokes, Patrick Magermans, and Craig Needles. It was produced by Jessica Stokes, Patrick Magermans, and Scott Kitching. 
Remember, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at blackburnnews.com. The Blackburn News Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.